know how we can serve you better. And I trust this message this morning serves you. Um, contrary to the bulletin, uh, I will be preaching from Romans chapter 12, not Revelation chapter 12. I think you would rather I preach from Romans. That's the message I prepared at least. Um, so turn with me please to Romans chapter 12. I'll be preaching from verses 3 through 8, and I believe it will be projected for us as well. So let me read uh, God's word to us through the Apostle Paul um, to the church in Rome, and also for us today. Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, a book, a text written so many years ago remains what we need today. We need to hear from you. And thank you that you promised to speak through your word, and I pray that you would speak this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to preach and for us to hear, and I pray that by your spirit, Lord, you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you have for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Picture with me a scene, if you will. Two children, two young brothers, are gathered around an adult, and they are full of excitement. They are excited because they know they are about to receive gifts. Maybe this is a relative that they don't get to see very often, and they're visiting from out of town. Maybe it's a parent who's come back from a trip and they know what that means. Or maybe it's Christmas morning. Whatever the occasion, these kids know what's coming next. And lo and behold, gifts, wrapped gifts appear and the excitement cranks up another notch and they're starting to you know, shake with excitement, bouncing up and down on the spot. Now picture little Johnny as he opens up his gift to find a Star Wars Lego Jedi Starfighter. And his excitement overflows in happiness and delight. That is until Brother Johnny opens his gift and finds that he's got a Star Wars Lego attack gunship and his comes complete with a Lego Darth Vader. At which point his older brother's delight suddenly turns into the deepest despair as he reveals through sobs and tears that all he ever wanted was an attack gunship complete with Darth Vader. But all that he really has was this lousy starfighter that only comes with a stupid stormtrooper. 
I'm guessing then by your response that most of us can picture a scene like that relatively well. And I won't tell you how close that portrays an experience with my brother and I when we were younger. <laughs> but probably a similar experience, the one that you can identify with, maybe in your own home, maybe you as a child. But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't really grow out of those experiences when we get older. We may express ourselves, hopefully we express ourselves a little differently. We may, we may learn to hide our feelings a little better. But gifts can still create problems and get in the way of relationships. Or more accurately, gifts don't really create problems. Really, gifts reveal problems within us. Problems that interfere with our relationship with the giver of the gifts, with the gift giver, and problems that interfere with our relationship with, with those around us. And this morning, the passage we're going to look at speaks to every one of us, speaks to us to diagnose the problem within us, and then it speaks to deliver the correction to that problem, and then certain areas of application of what this should look like, this correction, what it should look like in our lives. And as we look at the passage, I believe God's word to us today is to seek God's grace for the selfless thinking required for selfless relationships. We're to seek God's grace for the selfless thinking required for selfless relationships. And we're going to see that from today's passage, as well as three ways from the passage how selfless thinking is to be worked out in selfless relationships for the Christian. Now, Paul diagnoses the problem and the solution right for us in verse 3. The problem that everyone suffers from is that we all think too highly of ourselves. We think of ourselves too highly in reference to other people. Now, for Paul's original audience, that would have been um, Christians in the city of Rome, that would have been both Jews and Gentile believers. And the Jews would be prone to thinking of themselves higher than the Gentiles because, after all, they were God's chosen people, the people of God's promises. And surely that makes them a bit better than the, G the Gentiles. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they think themselves, could think themselves higher than the Jews because, after all, let's face it, the Jews had messed up. They had disobeyed God, they had rejected his Messiah, and God was now turning from the Jews to the Gentiles. So, hey, new favorites are in town. For you and I today, we are still just as prone to think of ourselves more highly than those around us in any number of ways. Maybe it's our religious differences with one another, but it could be our social status, our economic position, our political persuasion, our football team preference, any other number of things that distinguish us from those around us. All of us are prone to thinking too highly of ourselves because we're all prone to using our own standards of measure. We're used to setting at the benchmark ourselves. This comes naturally to us. It comes naturally in our fallen state that in our pride, we think it's our position to be judge and jury of our lives, of ourselves, and of those around us. In our pride, we essentially 
seek to out-God God. And the world only reinforces that way of thinking, of thinking too highly of ourselves. It's not only setting our own standards, but the world encourages us to think as highly of ourselves as we possibly can. The world says, don't let others tell you who you can and cannot be. You can be anyone you want to be. Just put your mind to it. The world says you are an amazing person just the way you are. If others put you down, don't listen to them. You are wonderful. You are a wonderful human being just as you are. And just like the lie that Satan first told in the garden, these most deceptive lies are so deceptive because they hold an element of truth and yet they take them too far or they miss out other parts of truth that we need to hold in balance. So the world and our natures combine only to exasperate us thinking too highly of ourselves. Now, I'm aware that some of us, some of you may be at this point saying, actually, that's not me. That's not my problem. Thinking of myself is too highly is not an issue for me because I think far too little of myself. I really don't think that I'm better than others. I know I'm not. I am painfully aware of my failures and all the areas of my life that I don't live up to expectation. Sometimes, actually, it's pretty hard for me to face myself, and I'm full of disappointment to myself, and I know I'm a disappointment to others. If that's you, then I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're hearing this message, and I hope that in it you will hear a word of hope and a word of opportunity for change. And I want to suggest to the you that you may still yet be thinking too highly of yourself. Because even though you don't meet your standards, even if they may not be set very high, you're still measuring yourself by your own standards and judging yourself by them. And it may be that your thinking is not informed by all that God says about you, all that God says about his standards and his grace and his mercy toward you. So I think it's fair to say that all of us suffer in one shape or form of thinking too highly of ourselves. So if that's the problem, what is the solution that Paul offers us? Well, it's not what we might initially expect or assume. It's not the opposite. It's not to think simply less of ourselves. You might assume that's the fix, right? You think too highly of yourself? Stop that. Think less of yourself. There is a sense in which that is true, but it is not the first and the main correction to our thinking. The correction in verse 3 that Paul offers to us is to think with sober judgment. Other English translations might say, think sensibly or think with sound judgment. In fact, Paul is very particular with his words here and, and not all of the translations capture his deliberate repetition Literally in this verse, it says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sound thinking. There is a lot of thinking going on in that verse. So what is the sound thinking of ourselves that 
Paul offers as the correction to inflated self-thinking. As I said, it's not primarily to think less of self. Instead, it is to think more of Christ. We think of ourselves in relation to Christ. And the way that Paul's readers relate to Christ is through the gospel. Now, the gospel is not explicit in today's passage, but we are left a little signpost that we are meant to follow and go find and draw it into our thinking this morning. The passage starts with that small word, for. And what that for is a signpost is it points to not just the two verses before it in chapter 12, but actually all of Paul's writing in Romans chapter 1 through 11 where Paul has taken time to present to the Romans this rich and glorious presentation of the good news to God's people. It's really the fragrance of this whole letter. Really, it's the fragrance of the whole Bible. But it's the fragrance which informs our verses today. And it's what's meant, too, by, in verse 3, when we're meant to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Sober thinking measures us according to the gospel to give an accurate assessment of ourselves in God's sight. And when we do that, when we assess ourselves in light of the gospel, the assessment starts out pretty bleak. In Paul's words earlier in the book of Romans, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but an eternity of suffering under the judgment and punishment of God for our sin. And yet, Paul goes on to say that there is God has made a way for self-absorbed sinners like you and me to be forgiven and cleansed and changed, that we can be made right with God before his judgment and we can be made heirs of eternal life with him. Romans 5.8, he shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now all who place their faith and trust in him, in Jesus Christ, trusting that Jesus' death was for me, that he bore my sins and my punishment that I deserve, God grants new life. A life with a new beginning to think rightly and to live rightly in right relationship submitted to God. That's the gospel that we are to measure ourselves against. And in light of that, Paul says in Romans 3.27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Left to ourselves, you and I bring nothing before God that should give us confidence to stand before him. God is not impressed with our little attempts at self-righteousness, to boast on meeting our own standards, or to boast that we're better than the other guy when we all fall short of his perfect standards. And yet we can come to him, to stand before him, to call him Father, because of his kindness and his patience and his grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. 
So Paul goes on to say, who shall bring any charge against us, against God's elect, yourself included? It is God who justifies. And who's going to argue with him? Measuring ourselves by the gospel adjusts our self-thinking in two ways. Yes, it thinks of ourselves rightly, and if we're thinking too highly, then it brings us down to see ourselves accurately in God's sight. But also thinking of ourselves in comparison to the gospel elevates God as we see him in his glory and in his goodness, ultimately displayed in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel, though, shouldn't simply inform our thinking as if we were only missing the right information. And now that we know it, as it were, now we can change. The gospel also functions, is meant to function to transform us, not simply inform us. And when placing our faith in Christ, we die to our old selves, and we are no longer bound to be self-centered in our thinking, in our feeling, and in our actions, and we are brought into new life, now centered on God, so that our thoughts, our actions, and our feelings can be centered on Him. It is important that we remember and we realize this, that the gospel isn't simply a tool or a trick we use when we want to try harder. Because when confronted with self-centered thinking, I don't know about you, but my first instinct is, okay, I've got to stop doing that, must try harder. Next time I'll be less, I'll be less selfish. That doesn't last very long in my book. One or two minutes I'll remember that, and then I'll blow it the next time. Instead, I must appropriate God's grace in and through the gospel and then, in light of the new life I have in Christ, work out my faith by trying harder in the strength and power that God gives in and through working through me by His Spirit. The gospel isn't a tool or a trick. It is God's grace that transforms us and allows us to live in ways that are pleasing to God and satisfying to our souls. We must seek God's grace for selfless thinking. But why does Paul make this point? Why is he making this point to the Roman Christians? And why is he making this point to us today? Okay, we all should be less selfish, absolutely. But Paul's interest is how that then looks in the life of the Christian. He is interested in how selfless thinking works its way out in selfless relationships for the Christian. And so he moves on in verses 4 through 8, and we're going to see there three different ways in which selfless thinking is required for selfless relationships. And the first we see in verses 4 and 5. We need to seek God's grace for selfless thinking required for a right view of the church. Verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Selfless thinking is obviously necessary for any relationship with others so that those relationships can thrive, but it is important to see that the first relationships that Paul addresses the Christians in Rome to live out this selfless thinking 
our relationships in the church. Certainly, gospel-transformed, selfless thinking applies to all of our relationships, wherever they may be, in our families, with our non-Christian friends, with our co-workers, with authorities over us. But the chief display and application of selfless thinking in Paul's mind is in the church. Now, okay, Paul doesn't explicitly say church in this passage, but elsewhere, uh, you can look at Corinthians chapter one, um, sorry, Colossians chapter one, and Ephesians chapter five. Paul uses the body metaphor to describe and connect Christ's church to the body of believers, and, and um, connects Christ as the head of the church, head of the body. It's one metaphor that he repeats in several different uh, letters to different churches. And I am, I am so grateful for how we get this at King of Grace Church. And I'm so grateful for how we get this more broadly within our, sisters, our brothers and sisters of other churches in Sovereign Grace churches. That the local church is the primary set of relationships for the Christian and for our growth as Christians. But sadly... I think within evangelical Christianity, that's not always the case. And some of the world's self-centered, individualistic, entertainment-saturated mentality can be seen in the way some Christians think of church. For many, church isn't really about relationships with other people, but it's that thing you go to on Sunday. It's a bit like it's not really much different to the movie theater or a ball game. Everyone gets together, we all have the same focus for a short while, maybe we sing some songs and we hear the same message. We might all express ourselves once in a while as well uh, in response to that. We may all eat the same food or drink the same coffee, but at the end we all leave, we all head in separate directions, and there's been no real fostering or growing of a relationship between one another. That's not God's view of the church, and it's not the view that Paul puts before us in this passage. The body metaphor should inform our thinking in several ways about the church. As fellow believers in the gospel of Christ, we share both in unity and in diversity. We are all one body in Christ. We've all been buried with him in his death through faith and brought to one glorious new life through his resurrection from the dead. When God looks at his church, he sees his people, and he sees Christ. When God looks at Christ, he sees his church and his people. But as well as unity as one body, unified in Christ, God has also ordained a rich diversity among its members so that we can function in different ways, albeit different ways that are in harmony with each other, just as the different members of a body function in harmony together. We're going to think about that diversity and how that functions in a minute when we come to looking at the gifts that God has given his people. But for now, here's a good diagnostic question to ask how we're doing with biblically informed, selfless thinking. Where does the local church feature for you as you live out your Christian life? Are the relationships that you have with those in your church the primary ones in your life? The ones that you put front and center before all others? Or do you live with other relationships as key? 
Church may still be very important to you. You may never miss a Sunday, but are your relationships in other spheres of life, in your family or maybe in a campus ministry or in your youth group, are those the primary relationships that you live for? These verses teach us that when we submit ourselves to selfless thinking, to God's way of thinking, and submit ourselves in response to the gospel, that that is primarily seen to be lived out in Christ's church. It doesn't mean that all those other relationships aren't important, and it doesn't mean that relationships in the church are perfect. There is a lot of mess here, and the Bible isn't ignorant of the problems that we bring. You just need to read the letter of 1 Corinthians to see the problems that exist in a church. But a Christian's transformed by grace we will be transformed in our thinking about God's people. And as such, we should seek God's grace for selfless thinking required for a right view of the church. The second thing we see from this passage in ways that selfless thinking are worked out in selfless relationships are in verses 6 to 8. And we see there that we should seek God's grace for the selfless thinking required for the selfless service of others. Verse 6 starts out, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then Paul goes on to list several different gifts available and in, in practice within the church. So now that Paul has used this body metaphor to center our minds on the primary relationships that the Christian lives out in the church, he's now turning his focus onto the right use of the diverse gifts within the church. I don't know about you, but I'm assuming you're probably similar to me. I enjoy receiving gifts. But as we considered a little bit earlier with little Johnny and Timmy at the beginning, gifts can bring out a self-centeredness in us all. Very quickly, a genuine gift, one that I wasn't expecting, one that I know I did nothing to earn or deserve, very quickly can become my own my precious, and can quickly be grounds for either my boasting or my grumbling as I compare that gift with those around me, either people with different gifts, perhaps gifts that I would really rather I had, or maybe even people with the same gift as I have, but have been given different measures of grace to use those gifts in different spheres or in different ways or to different measures. Selfless thinking, the selfless thinking that comes by God's grace to save us, is to be worked out in the use of the gifts God gives us. And selfless service of others means we should freely give them away in their service. Jesus taught his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' selfless thinking not only brought our freedom but also sets us the example of selfless service to follow. It's worth pointing out from this gift list 
the gift list, as it were, that is different from other lists we find in Scripture of the gifts God gives to the church. None of these lists are exhaustive. They're not meant to be, you know, this is the one gift that the Romans had. Here's another gift the Corinthians had. These are all gifts that God loves to lavish on his people. But the ones that Paul picks out in this passage are interesting because they are all very clearly ones that only work when they're serving other people. And the point of the passage is not to teach on specific gifts, so I don't intend to go through each one one by one, I'm afraid. But each gift that he lists does carry a similar sense in how they are to be used. They are to be used serving with no reluctance, no holding back through self-mindedness, through self-centeredness, or through comparison to others. And they're not to be used for praise, self-praise, or recognition. The gifts that you and I have been given are for others. Think of them as double-wrapped gifts. Yes, your name may be on the outside wrapping with a tag, but as you unwrap it, you find that there is another layer of wrapping beneath with another tag with maybe somebody else's name on it or maybe several people's name on it. And God's intention is for you to give that away and serve it. It's not for you to hold it, keep it close to yourself and and guard it jealously. We are called to selfless thinking so that we can steward our gifts well in selfless service of others. And knowing that these gifts all originated from God They didn't start with us. We can direct all praise and all thanksgiving in the use of our gifts to God. So if someone says thank you, wants to thank you for serving them in some way, you don't need to be embarrassed or dismissive, and you shouldn't let it get to your head either. You can say something simply, thanks, glad I could serve. Thanks, grateful to God for the opportunity. But what's perhaps more important than what you say to somebody else is how you then turn that and hand, respond back to God. It's more important that you bring it to Him and express yourself to God. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts you've given me to serve others. Help me to remember that these gifts are from you. They're gifts that I don't deserve. Please receive all honor in their use both in my eyes and in the eyes of those I serve. If that becomes your habit in handling thanks and praise, I'm sure God's grace will help you cultivate selfless thinking. And if someone doesn't thank you for your service, actually not if, when someone doesn't thank you for your service, bring that to God too. Lord, thank you for the gifts you've given me to serve others. Please help me to serve not for praise and to be fully satisfied in knowing you know how I use your gifts. That will help guard your heart, I think, too, to grow in selfless service of others. Regularly acknowledging God in our use of gifts is a means in which God will give grace for selfless thinking in their use. One other application of this service for in the use of others is there it means there is no useless part of the body. And all members function as God intended. These verses teach us that there are no giftless Christians. 
No one can say, well, I would serve, but I just don't have any gifts. God's grace is varied and God's grace is generous. And if you are in the body of Christ, then you have a function and you have gifts to be used in the body. Now, it may not mean that they're used on display for everyone to see, maybe on a Sunday morning, but it could be that your gifts are in creative decorating in making this place a hospitable and a welcoming environment so that others want to come here and hear the good news of Christ. Maybe you like to serve behind the scenes, keeping this building maintained so that we can worship well together without distraction. Maybe yours is a gift that needs to be used or God wants you to use in your community group when you just have a one-on-one conversation with someone and you offer them a word and a scripture that they know God cares for them and sees them. Maybe God's given you a gift to spot those who are on the outskirts of a crowd and he's calling you to go to them. Maybe in VBS, maybe in youth group, maybe here on a Sunday morning. God's given you a heart of compassion and care to draw that person in and receive his love. If you're not sure of your gifts, Ask God, but also ask those around you. Ask others what they see and look for opportunities to serve, opportunities to grow and practice. All of us can seek God's grace for the selfless thinking required for the selfless service of others. The final way, the third and final way in which we see selfless thinking as required for selfless relationships is also from those uh, verses on gifts, and is that we should seek God's grace for the selfless thinking required to be served by others. We need the selfless thinking so we can be served by others. This final application, I think, is perhaps even more critical for us today than knowing how to serve others with our gifts. And it's in allowing others to serve us with their gifts. Now, of course, that might seem obvious from what we've already said, but I think it's necessary to make it a clear point because it can just be another check for how selfless we are in our thinking. We don't naturally, I think, make this connection. Yes, I got it. Others need me. Of course, they need me. But I need others. Not so sure about that one. But Paul's picture of the body and the different members and his teaching on the different gifts teaches that you and I, we need others around us in the church. And it's not due to our weakness. It's by God's design. I'll say that again. We need those around us in the church, not because of our weakness, but by God's design. So what is your thinking towards the gifts of others. When someone steps up to the prophecy mic, are you too busy wondering who that word is for and miss the fact that God may intend it for you? Is your response to teaching and preaching first of critique and criticism rather than humble consideration? When you do finally ask someone to help with something, 
Do you see it as an exception and make excuses? It's just this once, it won't happen again, I'll be fine the next time. Or when someone serves in a way that you could have done, are you quick to think to thank God for their service? Or do you first and foremost think about how you could have done a better job? If any of these resonate, then I suggest we have an opportunity to seek God's grace for selfless thinking required for us to be served by others. Selfless thinking informed by the gospel allows us to be served by others without reluctance. That we can admit our need and we're not jealous of others by comparison, but we can gladly receive their gifts, their talents, their energies, and give thanks to God for how he's arranged the body to provide to you just what you need. Do you want more gifts from God? Who doesn't? And certainly we can ask our Heavenly Father who loves us and who loves to give good gifts to his children. But perhaps God plans to answer your prayer for comfort, not directly to you through a word from Scripture that you find in your own quiet times, but through the words of the person sitting one row in front of you. Perhaps he plans to answer your struggling and need for wisdom and guidance, not through a book on a page on scripture, but through the conversation that you have this afternoon with the person sitting three rows behind you. Perhaps your need and your prayer for strength will come by you resting while a couple in your community group carry your burdens for a short while. Just earlier on, Mike read Romans chapter 8, verse 31, 32, which holds a promise that I'm sure is dear to many of us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how, we not, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Praise God that we have that hope. But how do you expect him to fulfill it? Do you expect all things to be given directly to you? Some things, for sure. But perhaps some things to you through the rich variety of his grace found in your brothers and sisters sitting here in church this morning. Let's seek God's grace for the selfless thinking required to be served by others. Now, I know no one likes to be told they're self-centered. But God's word to us this morning is not intended to leave us feeling down about ourselves. I think we all like to think that we are pretty selfless in our thinking, but maybe God's put his finger on one or two areas in which you can grow. And he does that because he wants to extend fresh grace to you this morning. Paul exhorts us not to think too highly of ourselves, but to think with sound judgment. And God calls us to do so after coming to him for fresh grace and mercy, for forgiveness in Christ, for pride and boasting, and for further transformation into humble Christ-likeness. Let me close with a lesson that God taught me about thinking too highly of myself, as the band can come up, please. A lesson that God taught me about thinking too highly of myself and giving grace for change. Several years ago, back in uh, 2009, 
I had the opportunity to go on a medical missions trip to India with an e-team from our church. And we were running small uh, uh, clinics in different villages. I'm not medically a trained. Don't come to me with your medical issues. I know nothing about it. I was there purely to be bag carrier and crowd control. But I was full of faith for what God would do through this e-team. To be honest with you, my expectations were pretty high. I had in my mind miraculous healings, villages being transformed by the gospel. And also at the same time, just prior to going on this trip, I'd started to use a gift of prophecy during our Sunday morning services. And people were encouraging me by thanking me and, and saying they were helped by that. And so I wanted to serve the team that I was on and pray that God would give me words and pictures that would encourage them as, I, uh, as we serve together. But after several days of clinics and absolutely no sign of the miraculous and no sense of words or pictures that I had for anyone, I was finding myself confused and frustrated. And while I was praying one morning in my, in my room, God brought conviction to my heart. And he showed me that my increasing frustration and confusion wasn't because I wasn't, I wasn't seeing God glorified. It was because I wasn't being glorified. He showed me that although I was eager for people to think highly of God, I wanted it for the wrong reasons. I wanted people to think highly of God so they would think highly of me. And I wanted to exercise my gifts so that people would think highly of God and think highly of me. And in that moment, in that hotel room, I was convicted of my pride and my selfishness, my sinfulness. And I remember feeling utterly desperate because I knew that I'd only got to where I was because of God's grace and mercy. And I knew I needed more God's, God's grace and mercy for forgiveness. But how could I ask him for more mercy when I'd already abused the mercy he'd given me? At that moment, the phone rang. It was the pastor in our team. And he had a sense that God wanted us to talk about something. Sometimes God puts gifts right in front of us. So we can't miss them. So we talked. And God used him to speak truth to my soul. He reminded me that it's not only that we need God's grace for all things in our lives, but we actually need God's grace to receive grace. And he pointed me to God's word. And I, re I remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9 being a very sweet relief. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Brothers and sisters, God is not surprised by our sin or our weakness of our pride or our boasting. But he asks that we lay it before him and humbly receive his grace and mercy afresh in Christ. The rest of that trip went pretty uneventfully. And I realized that my expectations for the trip weren't really high. They were just very exact. And God didn't have to work to my plan. He knew what he was doing. And I could submit to his plan and be very, very satisfied. And God was kind enough to bring us some feedback. A year or two, I forget quite how long, um, after the trip, but it wasn't long. We had heard that God had used that clinic to allow 
he'd use that clinic to allow local pastors to come into those villages to talk to people as to why these strangers would come in and give them free medical care because of the good news of Christ. Just as Mike was saying about why we wash cars, just to express God's goodness to us. And as a consequence of that, over 20 new churches existed. Because of God, how God had chosen to work through that trip. Brothers and sisters, there is fresh grace for us all this morning. God uses us, despite our pride, despite our boasting, we can come to him and receive fresh grace for selfless thinking that's required for selfless relationships. And we can do it all in this church as we serve one another and be served for Christ's glory. Amen.